cardiovascular disease in Australia and worldwide is rapidly becoming an unmanageable disease. It puts a huge strain on healthcare, both in terms of the costs and staff in both acute and chronic setting. And cardiac rehab is the most effective treatment after a cardiac event. But like most treatments, if it's too hard, it won't happen. So how do we make sure we have a system in place to help provide high-quality, evidence-based, clinician-supported cardiac rehabilitation on demand in ways that'll work for everyone, no matter when or where they are? Well, with me today is Helen Suris from Cardihab. And in this episode, we're going to talk about cardiovascular disease, rehab, and how technology might play a part in reducing some of the barriers that are preventing people getting the treatment they need. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech, a podcast and membership community about technology in healthcare. Here's your host, Peter Birch. With me today is Helen Suris, CEO of Cardihab, a digital health company that helps people recover from and prevent cardiac events. Helen has a BA in statistics and computer science with over 20 years of commercial experience in fast-moving consumer goods, digital innovation, medtech and biotech. Hey, Helen, how are you going? Really good. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me. Good to chat with you on the show. We talk while we're out and about and doing things and busy, like passing ships in the night. But uh, hey, we're on the <laughs> podcast now. So uh, awesome. thanks for coming on. But look, for those that aren't too familiar with you, tell us about you and your background, please. Awesome. You've done a great job with the bio there. So that kind of gives the stats of it all. But I think my personal attraction to the healthcare sector is that you really do feel like you can actually make a significant difference to society through the work that you do. And I have really fallen in love with working in health and digital health tech, particularly because you know there's some pretty important areas that we can actually make a difference in. So having joined Cardihab three years ago, I really do feel like there's an opportunity that we can truly make a demonstrable change in the way that cardiac patients recover and the way they get access to care. And it's been an absolute privilege and honor to be part of this team. Love it. And so tell me a bit more about Cardihab then, you know, what is it? Is it for? What problems it solve? Awesome. So the problem that Cardihab tried to solve when it spun out of CSIRO was to improve access to cardiac rehab for people who typically miss out. And at the moment, 80%, and that's eight zero percent of people who should be involved in a cardiac rehab program don't participate. Yeah, right. And the reason they don't participate is because access to programs is limited due to capacity and wait lists. There's constraints on that. People living in regional rural communities just can't get to the city where these clinics are usually run from. And even if you are based in the city, you work. Mm. You can't afford the time or the, I guess, the commitment to do these programs because they're traditionally two to three times a week for two to three hours at a time and usually fixed to say 11 till one. So if you can imagine, you've just had a heart attack, you've come out of hospital, you've got to go into rehab from 11 to 1, two days a week, and you can't drive yourself there. You're not allowed to drive after heart attack. You've got to get yourself there somehow. And most people want to just get back to life, want to get back to work, want to do what they did before they had a heart attack. And the inconvenience and the frustration of that means that they participate. That's lucky enough if they get into a program. Yeah. Because not everyone gets off at once. Right, right, right. And that's a little bit from the patient's perspective, but what about for an issue that's so prevalent in Australia and I guess across the world too, what's the impact on the healthcare system? That's huge. I mean, in Australia, it costs us about a billion dollars a month to treat cardiovascular disease. There's 1.1 million hospitalizations each year. And so the thing that's most, I guess, frustrating is that a lot of these admissions, these hospital readmissions are avoidable 
if people are given access to the right models of care, if they're able to adhere to the programs of care that are in their best interests. And yet access is the number one issue holding people back. Options and availability of services is the number one issue holding people back. So if we could just improve access to cardiac rehab in ways that work for people, fit in with their life, reach them in their home communities when they go back to their regional or rural environments, we can actually make a significant dent on that statistic and actually change the numbers. So they're the Australian stats, but in the US, it costs a billion dollars a day. (laughs) A day? A day. And they have the same issue. 80% of people who should be in cardiac rehab don't participate. Is that the main lever then, that 80% number then, that number comes down then? Huge, yeah. I mean, even in the context of Cardihab in Australia, we've demonstrated that we can produce $40 million a year in savings if we make Cardihab available across Australia to patients. And that's not saying that we're going to fix the problem completely. The 80% is a massive number to change and it has to change because we're using all modalities of cardiac rehab that can be applied to people. So some people really want face-to-face or they really need a face-to-face program and they should get access to it. But for those people who don't want that or don't need that or couldn't possibly attend that, they need to be given an option like ours so they can complete their rehab from home. And it's only when you work together as kind of a program of support, we're actually going to change the 80% statistic. Yeah. No, I, got you. I want to come to the point around those barriers a little bit more because you touched on them a fair bit then. But just when you mentioned that last point around a program of work or coming together and pulling a few different pieces together, talk to me a bit more about that, what that actually looks like. So one of the best examples of this that we've seen is when hospital systems or hospital groups embrace digital as part of their service offering. Mm. So Tasmanian Health Service at the moment, we have every hospital in Tasmania offering Cardihab as part of a program or options for patients. So if they've got patients who need traditional face-to-face programs, they get offered it. If they prefer to have a virtual program with ours, they get offered it. And that's the secret sauce is that give people what they want or what they need and they're more likely to adhere to the program and actually get the results they need. So if you force someone who doesn't want to be part of a group program to go to a group program, they might show up for the first week or two and then they drop out. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. It's about thinking about how do you ingrain and embed digital modalities into the way that you deliver care and not see them as something extra or added or outside of what usual care should be. I think we've got a lot of customers across Australia that have embraced our solution as well, like Medibank. Mm. And they've been able to provide a national-wide service to all of their members who have had a heart attack or a cardiac event or procedure to be able to keep them in a timely way accessing cardiac rehab and getting the benefits of that. And there's been some great articles released in the media around the Medibank program results. And they're the kind of things that we know are important but are available to many people. So in a public hospital setting, in a private health insurer setting, there's lots of different ways you can make Cardihab available or, or solutions like ours. And that's what it's all about. It's getting access up. That point around utilising technology as giving people choice with technology is one that comes up, you know, not just in this space of cardiology or cardiac issues. I think, you know, we saw that with telehealth as well, with around having access to it at all, let alone video and phone, for example. So I think what you're saying there and what I heard is that, you know, this digital approach is not a stopgap solution in a, in a COVID situation where there needs to be distancing and everything. It's something that can be a real game changer when it comes to some of these really big statistics that are creating a lot of burden on the healthcare system. Absolutely. And I think that cardiac rehab modality hasn't really changed in 50 years. Mm. It's still set on a model of care that was designed when people had a cardiac procedure, stayed in hospital for a while, got rehabilitated while they were there before they got let out. And the model hasn't changed. And innovation in this space really before cardiac hadn't really changed that much at all. 
And although there are fantastic clinicians doing great work in centres that are providing quality care, there's not enough of them. Mm. And there never will be enough of them physically in practice in centres to treat the millions of patients out there who need it. So it's about being clever with how we leverage technology in our clinical workflows and how we make sure that the technology is working with the health services to make things better. And the only way we can get to the 80% statistic being reduced is if we leverage technology and the efficiencies we can gain. We just can't keep adding more health people to the system Mm. and expecting to get an incremental result out of it because it's shown for the last 20 years it hasn't worked. Yeah, yeah. If you've been kicking around this industry a bit like me, or maybe even you're brand new to digital health, you've probably worked out that health tech is not an individual sport. Whatever you're trying to achieve, whether you're delivering healthcare for patients, or you're building health technology, or perhaps you're helping deploy solutions across health systems, you need a tribe, a community of like-minded individuals who just get it that if we're going to transform healthcare, then technology is going to play a huge part in it. So to learn and connect about health tech and level up your game, consider joining our THT Plus membership community. We've got options for every stage of growth, whether you're a solo individual or a startup or scale-up company. As an individual, you get access to our exclusive community forum, you get a warm intro to two other members from me each month, you get free access to our quarterly virtual summits and a bunch of other exclusive goodies. Companies can bring team members into the community, plus you get a presence on our website as a THT Plus member, you can post content like news events and jobs, and of course we love to showcase our members, so when you join as a company THT Plus member, you'll get to appear on this podcast with your very own episode. This podcast is made possible through the support of our members, it's literally the heart of everything we do, so consider joining as a THT Plus member, you can join anytime online, just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT plus. So, you know, as you touched on there, I think what would be really important as well, I imagine is the buy-in from different stakeholders, whether it's at a clinical level or at a hospital group level, or even from a patient level, where do you find that you either already get a lot of advocacy or you need a lot of advocacy from those different stakeholders or is, does everyone need to come at it at the same time? I think it's probably one of the biggest barriers to any digital health transformational revolution that we want to see is that everyone's got to understand why, why they're doing it. The patients want it. The patients call us directly and say, I've been put into a traditional rehab program, but I'm not scheduled to start for three months. And I've just been discharged with cabbage, a coronary artery bypass surgery. That's the one like the Superman one where they rip your chest open. Oh, you know, right. big surgery, right? Yeah. But they can't get into rehab for three months. So they can say, can I start with you? so that I can get into it because I know how important rehab is. Patients want it, clinicians want it, health services need it, but we just need to be really able to talk to each person in that, each of the stakeholders to help them understand why they should be doing it with urgency. Technology is both embraced with people who get it and don't fear it, but I remember when I did my computer science degree, the very first thing our computer science lecturer did in, in Comp 101 say, don't be afraid of technology. And I thought, what a crazy thing to be telling a group of students that have come in to study computer science. But I thought that's the biggest rate limiting step is people's fear stops them from doing. And um, that really stood out to me as a message that I carry today is that don't be afraid of technology, be wary of it, know what you're getting into when you've got clinically validated and proven technologies that have got a proper robust clinical evidence base behind them, work to embrace them because that's the future. It's not going away. It's only going to grow. 
And there's a really good article I was pointed to read and I posted it on LinkedIn just the other day about millennials and the future generations of people wanting healthcare, want prevention, they want technology. And the health system in five years from now is going to be run by people who have graduated using apps and and all sorts of things growing up through their childhood years and through uni. So it's happening and it's happening at a reasonable pace, but not fast enough. The health system needs to quicken up its adaption and adoption of digital health solutions. And I think like you mentioned before too, the evidence is there. You know, a few years ago, it was a convenient position to take is that, well, when the research is done to demonstrate that this is as effective, if not more so effective than more traditional approach, then we may look at it. But I don't think that's a question anymore in terms of the effectiveness of some of these solutions, right? Well, I think exactly right. In healthcare, you do have to be really cautious and it's important first in our harm, right? It's a fundamental principle of becoming a medical doctor or a nurse or anyone involved in health. But we now have a governance framework with the TGA around software as a medical device. And there's an expectation that if you are making clinical claims, there's evidence behind it. So as an evidence base, as a TGA registered product, we have demonstrated clinically through robust trials that we work. We do what we say we're going to do. And that's really important. And I think every clinician should be discerning about does the product that they're looking at, the technology they're looking at of implementing into their uh, clinical workflow, have the evidence behind it that it does what it says it's going to do. And we're very pro clinical evidence-based programs. We're very pro making sure that we're delivering quality programs. And that's what every digital health company needs to do from now forward if they haven't already done it. The regulation of this space is really tightening. It's tightened up in Australia and it's going to be tightening up in other parts of the world as well, like the European and the American regulatory environments as well. So there's an expectation that these things can make a health difference. Therefore, the clinical trials and evidence needs to follow. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Hey, I want to come back to this cardiac rehab thing for a second, just so I really understand it. So you mentioned that a lot of people, the 80% of people who don't get the rehab they need, it sounds like the barrier is twofold. Either on one side, it's that they can't access it because of distance and where it's located. On the other hand, there are people that do want to do it and they can't, right? So two different buckets. Yeah, totally agree. So let's just look at a scenario. If you are a female patient who's just had heart attack and largely these groups are dominated by men, there's no criticism of men, but it's just more prevalent with men. It's more likely that a woman going to a cardiac rehab group is going to be surrounded by, outnumbered by men to women. And that typically means women don't like going to cardiac rehab no matter whether you live in the regional communities or metro-based. So they're underrepresented significant from these programs. But also the time commitment. You know, if you work, you've got a young family, or even if you've got heavily, I guess, scheduled social life or commitments outside of a structured program that really don't accommodate you giving up four hours a day for, you know, twice a week, Mm. you just won't do it. It's too hard. And you're already feeling quite vulnerable after you've had a heart attack to really stop and think about what am I going to do for the next eight weeks, two months of my life as I recover? Am I going to spend that time with a group of strangers that I feel uncomfortable with? Am I going to go to my own source of recovery and see what I can do myself, do some self-help work, read up some Dr. Googles, get some advice from some different people? Or I'm actually going to be supervised and structured program that actually gets me to where I need to be as fast as possible, which would be where cardiac rehab should fit in. So I think lots of people miss out for lots of different reasons. And it's not just the regional rural communities that miss out, but even people in metro cities, particularly women. We also recognize ethnic and minority groups. People who don't have English as a first language often struggle with these groups because they're English-led. And it's really hard to accommodate all the people who haven't got English as a first language as part of their rehab program as well. And I'm not saying that Cardihab has a solution for that, but these are some of the reasons why people miss out. Yeah, I get it. But they're tough challenges to overcome, you know, like how how do you then, you know, from Cardihab's point of view, start to address some of these challenges specifically? 
Well, where we want to really make sure every patient has an awareness of what options they've got. Don't just tell patients you've got an option to come into cardiac rehab in six months' time because our wait lists are full. Mm. Tell them that they've got options around. There's a digital version, which is Cardihab. It's been validated. It's been proven to work. And have that option. Would you prefer to do this or prefer to do that? I think the engagement of clinicians to respect the decision-making patients can have in the way that they recover is a really important change we need to see. And where we've seen customers do that, they're getting great results. So we need to make the option available, let patients know that it's available to them, and then let them decide. And if they really want face-to-face, but they can't get into a program for six months, then they have to have an alternative. They can't just be put on a wait list. The readmission rates from a heart attack or cardiac event, one in three people will have a repeat event within three months. Oh, wow. And then if you're looking at the 12-month window, it's 60% of people will have a re-event or readmission within 12 months. So it's not a matter of if for many people, it's a matter of when. Yeah. And so timing of getting into a rehab program is really important. It's not okay just to let them go off and sort themselves out or to assume that the general practitioner in their hometown is going to take care of them. It often just doesn't happen and these patients fall into a void of no care. It sounds like then that potentially there's an important role you play in augmenting some of this care or the rehabilitation that's provided, not necessarily being a, let's chuck out the existing you know methods of cardiac rehab and let's just replace it all with this. It sounds like there's elements that are good from more traditional methods of rehab, is that right? And then you're kind of leaning into the areas where it needs support the most? Absolutely. We really want to see the 80% statistic change. And that's going to have to rely on both our model of care plus traditional models of care working together harmoniously. You could never possibly accommodate all the patients, the 1.1 million hospitalizations that happen with boosting up the traditional programs of care. And you certainly couldn't just do that by offering digital alone. There's a really important element of keeping the patient at the heart of this Mm. and giving them options of how they access care. But, you know, we've always said that we work best when we partner and we collaborate with health services. I don't think any technology solution can really replace clinical judgment and clinical oversight. I mean, our program even itself requires a clinician to be coaching and talking to a patient each week as part of the program. It's not a self-help program. It's actually a clinical tool. So we really value that and respect that. Love it. You're a busy person normally, Helen, but I assume you're going to continue to be busy in 2022 and beyond. What's on the horizon? What can we look forward to seeing from Cardihab in the future? I think we're pretty excited. We've got quite a few announcements around data that we'll be able to make in the not too distant future. We've got some new clinical trial information that's been written up for publication. We have a heart failure study currently underway where we're looking at trying to improve outcomes for people with heart failure using our technology. Our five-year program with the Baker Heart and Diabetes Institute is looking into research areas of long COVID. So how do we help people with long COVID and manage them with Cardihab? Same goes with cardio-oncology. So people have had cancer treatments and have had some sort of heart disease develop or heart function failure. We can look at how we might help them with Cardihab in that area. And another area of high-risk coronary artery disease, where we're looking at how we help people with a high risk of coronary artery disease be better managed with Cardihab. So we've got quite a few studies currently underway through the Baker Heart and Diabetes Institute partnership that we're really excited about. I think for Cardihab, we obviously see it's an incredibly important clinical area of need in cardiac rehab, but as a whole continuum, people have cardiac disease for their life. They don't just get it and get fixed and get cured. So we're really trying to support people across their whole health journey. And that's where we see some further developments with Cardihab's service offering to really support people with heart disease across the board. Yeah, so important. And I'm sure that anyone listening to this podcast 
has either been directly affected or know somebody that has when it comes to cardiac issues. So I'd encourage everyone to raise the awareness because it's something that's going to be critically needed across the health system. We need it now and we'll only continue to do that. So we'll put the details for CardiHab in the show notes of this episode for people to check out in their own time in your directory listing and posting content on the Talking Health Tech website as well. So it's great to have you in this discussion, Helen, and I'm sure we'll continue it again sometime soon. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks, thanks Peter. Before you go, just a reminder to jump over to our YouTube channel and subscribe and watch some episodes there. There are podcast episodes, summit sessions, and a bunch of other interesting content on our channel. You can just search Talking Health Tech in the YouTube app or click on the link in the show notes of your podcast player and it should just take you straight there. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player and for more information, visit talkinghealthtech.com.